in Mark chapter 14 today. Um, we had a special planned, special music planned uh, that included Brother Ross, and he got to feeling bad last night and uh, is not here today. So, so instead of putting in a replacement, we're just going to kind of um, get right into the message because at the end of the message, Lord willing, today we're going to take a few moments and have a video greeting from Brother Bruce Moore in Botswana and uh, just let them know that uh, we're praying for them and get a brief update from the work in Africa that uh, is a missionary family out of our church and so we'll capture a few extra moments uh, by not having the special to do that and so anyway we're gonna we're glad you're here today I've so look forward to the service today and what the Lord has for us and um, like many of you, you know, the events that are unfolding in our country and in our world are concerning to us. And, but as we sang today, God is sovereign and he's on the throne and we're trusting in him because he never changes. And we're thankful to the Lord for that. Mark chapter 14. Let's look in verse 1 if we could please. After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. Now we've been off of our study of Mark for a few weeks now, but if you just kind of engage your mind in thinking back, you know, one of the things that we were seeing was this constant antagonism toward Jesus in these last days before he went to the cross, and it tells us here that these religious people are looking for ways, actually, to apprehend him and kill him. Verse 2 says, but they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. They had no apprehension about killing him any day, but they, were, they, they didn't want to do anything that wasn't politically expedient for them. Verse 3, and being in Bethany... In the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head, on the head of Jesus. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always. And whensoever you will, you may do them good. But me ye have not always. For she hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. What a great passage. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we study it together. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the Bible that we have before us. The very words of God that, Lord, we can study and research, receive, 
internalize, apply to our life, words of life. We thank you for them. We pray, Lord, today that you would bless as we study together, open our eyes, help us to behold wondrous things out of thy law, that it might help us to grow in grace, learn more of your ways, be more like you, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Most everybody's familiar with this woman. There's more than one account of this particular event. Actually, there are three different narratives in the Gospels, but there's also another event that happens similar to this. But this particular woman brings this alabaster box, the alabaster being the material it was made out of, and poured the contents on on the head of Jesus. Jesus is, the Bible tells us that he's in the house of leper, verse 3, and as he sat at meat, more than likely he wasn't sitting at the dining room table. Generally, they would just recline on the floor and, and uh, have a meal sitting on the floor. And he's, he's there enjoying his meal when this woman comes in and we see this event unfold. Just beginning, let's kind of just look at a few details about what transpired. It says in verse 2, it was, uh, or in verse 3, it was in Bethany. And we know from our studies in the Gospel of Mark and other studies, Bethany is just a small village, just a few miles, literally just a few miles, um, maybe no further than from here out to the interstate, a little further than that, uh, from, from Jerusalem, from the temple area. And uh, they're, she's there, they're there in this house that was owned by Simon the leper. Now, it doesn't say this. But I'm, I'm safe in saying that I, I would strongly assume that Simon was not a leper now. That Simon had been healed of his leprosy. And that'd be a great thing, wouldn't it, to be in the house of someone who had been healed of leprosy. And it tells us in John chapter 12 that there are other familiar people there in this home. Not only was Simon there, the homeowner, but Mary and Martha and Lazarus were there. They lived in Bethany, and uh, that was their community. And this was the same Lazarus, of course, that had been raised from the dead not many days or maybe weeks prior to this. So you have Lazarus here in the house, and you have a, woman, a man that's been um, healed of leprosy. By the way, there were probably a lot of houses like this around uh, Israel where people's lives had been transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And this Mary of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, this Mary is the woman with the alabaster box that contained this perfumed ointment that she's pouring on the Lord. And uh, the Bible tells us in verse 3 there that there came this woman having an alabaster bo box of ointment of spikenard, a liquid, a perfumed liquid, uh, oil, very, it says very precious. And that phrase is used in other places in the Gospels where it talked about it. So here's the scene. We've got this scene. It, no doubt it's a crowded house, small house, but numerous people there, people that Jesus loved and people that loved Jesus, people who Jesus had changed their lives. And it's in this period of time when Jesus is going to go into Jerusalem and face all his critics, and eventually he'll be crucified. 
So what this woman did was, was, was very, it was an expression of her love. I would call it, and I hesitate maybe to use the word, but it describes what I think it is. It was an, ex, an extravagant expression of her love. Some people think extravagant means more than adequate over the top. And it was over the top is what it, people would think. But she pours out her love on the Lord. Mary loved the Lord. There was no doubt about it. It was the same Mary that we heard about a couple of Sunday nights ago when she was sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing his words. It was the same Mary that John records in John chapter 11, I believe, when Lazarus was raised from the dead. Before Jesus raised her brother, Mary fell at his feet in worship of him. It's the same Mary, the same woman. She loved the Lord. And... One thing about her adoration, her love for the Lord, was not only extravagant, but it was also public. You know, John, who was there, said that when she broke this box and poured this oil out on the Lord, that the house was filled with the odor of the ointment, the aroma, the smell just filled the house. And when I was thinking about this this morning, I was just thinking about worship. I think about public worship. This was a public act of worship. That when, when we come together to worship, there ought to be just something very special about that. The, the, not a physical aroma, but a spiritual, a spiritual really aroma, if we could say that. Our prayers going up as incense before the Lord, a spiritual fragrance of our love and I think everyone in this room would agree with this that that our worship shouldn't just be public our worship should also be private you know that we we don't just seek the Lord and get into his word and pray and even sing to him we don't just do that on Sundays and when we assemble on Wednesdays we do that as a part of our lifestyle if we don't we're missing out on something but worship also should be public it ought to be something we do corporately when we come together like we are today. We should not be ashamed of our love for the Lord. When we sing, guys, we ought to sing from our heart because we love the one we're singing about. We worship and give to the one that we love. It's not, we're not just spectators when we come together. We're, we're participants. We're lifting our voices and we're we're lifting our, our attention to God and giving him praise. Well, in this particular meeting, she, she gave a public expression of her great love for the Lord. I think this is such a powerful testimony. You know, people in the Bible, when we read about people in the Bible, you know, we're inspired and encouraged and challenged by their actions. You know, when I... When I read about Daniel, and I've thought about Daniel, Daniel a lot in the last few days, when the government made a decree that you could not pray to any other god or bow to any other god, Daniel did not hesitate to worship God. It eventually got him thrown in a lion's den. I, I have great admiration and respect for Daniel, don't you? Now think about Paul, who, when he went to Lystra, he was stoned. He was, he was executed. Stoning was not just a 
form of temporary punishment, when they finished piling rocks on him, they assumed he was dead. But it wasn't long till he regained his consciousness. And what did he do? He just packed up his backpack and headed to the next town and started doing the same thing again. I have great admiration for people in the Bible. These were real people. People like Elijah, who was a man subject to like passions as we are. I, but when we think about people who did things that challenge us and convict us, I, I want to think about this woman for a moment who had such love for the Lord that in spite of mocking criticism, she just poured out her love on the Lord. What a, what a great example for all of us. So we see that kind of sets the stage of what's taking place here in Mark chapter 14. And as I just mentioned, and as we read a moment ago, her actions were not well received. If you look in verse 4, it says, There were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? They had indignation. They and within themselves, they despised what this woman was doing. They, they did not agree with what she was doing. And their, their criticism was among themselves. This, this antagonism, this disapproval of what this woman was done. As a matter of fact, this is an amazing statement. They considered it to be a waste. So it says in verse 4, Why was this waste of the ointment made? Imagine being in a room where this woman is pouring out this very expensive perfumed oil on the Lord. The other God, one of the gospels says that she was wiping his feet with her hair with this oil. And people are watching. Could you, have, could you just take a moment and think about what that looked like? And I can see, I can just, in my mind, I can see a lot of different reactions and responses, body language among people who are watching but there were some of them that just despised it. What a waste. What a waste. Imagine, imagine thinking that extravagant worship was wasteful. But you know, there are people who look at what you do, coming to church several times a week, giving money to the Lord, worshiping the Lord, singing to the Lord, publicly displaying maybe a through a bumper sticker or the music you listen to, that you love the Lord. You don't engage in the filthy conversations around the, the workplace and, you, and you, you try to love the Lord and talk positive about the Lord. You know what people think? A lot of people think, what a waste. What a waste of your energy. What a waste of your money. What a waste of your time. There's a great contrast here. You got in this house, we're not making this up. Probably a small room, maybe just a one room house, literally, or maybe just a couple of rooms. Very modest, I'm sure. And in that room, you've got people like Lazarus who literally was dead for four days and they raised him from the dead. And his sister Mary is coming before the Lord that she is so grateful to in worshiping him. And then you've got... Simon, who had been a leper, there was nothing, there's no greater physical stigma in the, in the middle, in the east than to have leprosy. People would isolate themselves from you and ostracize themselves 
from you and you had to cry out unclean and here's a man who had been touched by the Lord and been changed and healed. And in that house, you've got people that are critical, carnally critical of the worship that Jesus is receiving. It's quite a thing to visualize. They said in verse 5 about this ointment, this expensive ointment, It might have been sold for more than 300 pence, 300 pennies, and had been given to the poor, and they murmured against her. 300 pennies? It's only a few bucks. Doesn't sound very expensive to us. But as we've studied before, that word pence, the Roman penny, was not just a few pennies. It wasn't, in, it wasn't like millions of dollars, but the, uh, thankfully we have the Bible to give us an idea of what a pence was. Because in one of the Gospels, there was a landowner that went out into the marketplace and he hired people to work for him for a penny a day. Same word, a penny a day. So a man would be willing to work all day for a penny. So that's not just... Now, some people, some of you might can remember when a person worked all day for a penny or a few dollars, but that's a little before my time. But just take that. If if you could just do the math, let's just imagine that a person's working all day, an eight-hour day, and let's just say he makes $15 an hour, $120 a day. 300 pennies, so it's 300 days salary, that would be $36,000 in our money. Imagine someone coming and giving a 30, having a bottle of ointment worth $36,000 worth 300 days salary and pouring that out on the Lord. And how do they respond? They were enraged. How could this be allowed? Why would these people do it? Why would Jesus permit it? Well, as we know from studying the Bible, the Gospels, criticism should be expected, right? I mean, they criticize the Lord a lot. The hatred for Jesus is growing. You read about it right here in verse 1 where it says, The chief priests and scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. You know what kept them, we mentioned earlier, you know what kept them from killing Jesus? It wasn't their conscience. You know what kept them from killing Jesus? Because he was so popular with the people. If it wasn't for his popularity among the people, they would have killed him. And of course, we know the providence of God. It wasn't time for him to die yet. But these priests, these, these scribes, these religious people were evil to the core. These religious people. And they didn't just want to kill Jesus. We're not going to turn to it, but John in his record in John chapter 12 said that these same people wanted to kill Lazarus. They didn't just want to kill Jesus. They wanted Lazarus dead too. You know why? Because Lazarus was a testimony of what Jesus could do. I'll tell you how, how heartless and corrupt religion can be. These were religious people. But here's the thing that really gets you. It doesn't tell us here, but in Matthew and in John, 
It says this. Now you, I really want you to hear what they say about these critics. It's, Matthew said this, an important thing that he adds. When his disciples saw it, they had indignation. It wasn't the religious people, the, these religious evil religious scribes and Pharisees. It was the disciples that had a problem with it. This criticism came from the disciples. And then if you look in John, John actually gives us the name of one of the disciples. You know what his name was? Judas Iscariot. The traitor. Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray Jesus. And the one, Judas, the one who would, who would have in, in a, just a matter of moments and days, betray Jesus. He is, he's poisoning the minds of the other disciples because he was the, he was the uh, treasurer. He kept the bag. That's what it says. He kept the bag. He had the money. He, he, was, he was benefiting off of what Jesus had. And when this woman comes in and pours out something so extravagant, all he can think about, why didn't she cash that in and give it in the treasury? Then I could get the money. That's evil, isn't it? If you're looking here and you still have your Bible open in Mark 14, look in verse 11, where verse 9 it says this gospel will be is there wherever it's preached, she'll be remembered. And look in verse 10. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priest to betray him unto them. What a dark moment this is, isn't it? A time of conspiracy, a time of darkness, a time of evil, a time of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy on steroids, really. It's, a, it's an evil, dark time. That's what's happening. And this woman is pouring out her love on Jesus. One thing I want to also mention in our text, it has to do with the timing of her actions. Why she did what she did when she did it. In verse 6, Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. Verse 7, for you have the poor with you always. That's what, that's what these liars said. That's what these murmurers said. what Simon said. We want, we want that, not Simon, but uh, Judas. We want that money because we want to help the poor people. Jesus said in verse 7, you have the poor with you always. And whensoever you will, you may do them good. Anytime you want to, you're free to help people who are in need. But me, verse 7 says, you have not always. I'm not always going to be here. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. In other words, what she did, if she's going to do it, it had to be done now. Because she's anointing my body for the burying. You always have opportunity to help other people. You can always help the poor people. But he said, my time with you is very limited. She was at great personal expense, pouring out her love for the one who is going to go to the cross to pour out his life for her and for us and for all humanity. But what she did, let's, here's the point. 
what she did, if it was to be done, had to be done now. Her act of service, her act of devotion was what we would call today time sensitive. It couldn't be postponed because Jesus is about to go to the cross. And I think that speaks to us about when we do what we do. You know, we, some, we, we, we have this assumption, and, and I, I say we because I think all of us in some form or fashion at some time or another make this assumption that, that our devotion to the Lord, our worship to the Lord, our service to the Lord can be, we can neglect it today, and we might neglect it next week, but, but one of these days we'll get around to it, and it'll all be the same if we do it in the future, but that's not really true. You know, a person could go through life... And they could go for weeks and months and even years and really not take their devotion to Christ seriously, their service to Christ seriously. And then one day down the road, they could get it right, right? They could get it, get it right and say, I'm going to start living differently, and that'd be wonderful. But the only problem is they've wasted all these years when they could have been and should have been serving the Lord. Our service to God and our devotion to God is time sensitive and now I'm thinking about our theme for the year knowing the time it's high time to awake out of sleep knowing the time what is it that we could be doing now what is it that we should be doing now that's being left undone our, our opportunities are fleeting Time gets away from us. So we think about the timing of her actions. So we've looked at the, we've looked at the setting of it. We've, we've looked at the criticism that she received. We've looked at the timing of her actions. And the last thing I want to focus on now is how Jesus responded. How Jesus responded. Well, first of all, and I'm not even going to look at the passage we've already covered, but he, he, he responded by explanation. He responded by explaining what was taking place. He explained to those that were present what Mary had done and why she had done it. And he explained to them that the day would come when it would be too late. There were people in that room on that day that should have been worshiping the Lord. There were people in that room at that hour that should have been pouring out their appreciation to the Lord, but they did not do it. And the truth is, they never got another opportunity to do it. But she took advantage of that opportunity. Jesus explaining these things to them. But we not only see his explanation, secondly, we see his condemnation. I love what he said in verse 6. It sounds like something we would say. Let her alone. Leave her be. Let her alone. Why are you troubling her? Why are you talking about this person? Why are you criticizing? Why are you murmuring? Why are you questioning? You know, we shouldn't judge each other. We shouldn't question each other. But we sure shouldn't be critical of those who are doing more than we're doing. And that's why people do criticize sometimes. Don't criticize people who are doing more. Let people who are doing more be an example and encouragement to us to do more ourselves. So Jesus condemned them, condemned their criticism, condemned their accusations. 
But not only do we see his explanation and his condemnation, but thirdly, we see his commendation. He commended her. In verse 6, he not only said to them words of judgment, let her alone, rebuke them. Why trouble you her? But then he commended what she did. She hath wrought a good work on me. What she did is a good thing. I'd love to be able to been in that room, wouldn't you? I'd love to be able to eavesdrop and watch and see the body language when this woman's pouring out this stuff on Jesus and these disciples are in a corner criticizing and slandering. And then Jesus said, leave her alone. What she's doing is a good thing. Don't you know they felt like they'd been put in their place? She had done what she could, he goes on to say. That's a great statement, isn't it, verse 8? I have it marked in my Bible. She had done what she could. What a testimony. What a word of affirmation. She had done what she could. There's, I think there's packed into that, embedded in that, some real important stuff. For one thing... None of us are going to be judged for what other people could have done. We're going to be judged for what we could have done. You won't be judged by what I could have done and didn't do. You won't be judged by what somebody else could have done. And it's, very, and it's a very righteous form of judgment. You know what you're going to be judged for and I'm going to be judged for? What we could have done and should have done And that's a lot, right? What, what could we have done with our time? What could we have done with our money? What could we have done with our spiritual abilities and gifts? What could we... She had done what she could. That's a piercing question to me. What, are, what am I doing with what I have? What am I doing today with what God has given me? What am I doing with my ability? What am I doing with my time? What am I doing with my opportunities I would like for that to be said of us one day, wouldn't you? He hath done what he could. He did what he could. She did what he could. We did what we could. She did it in an act of worship. I, I think it would be a good question to ask ourselves when it comes to our worship. I mean, we, we just finished the service where we sang several songs. We heard a choir sing. We sang several songs of worship together. If someone could know your heart, if somehow they could put this little meter on you that, re that registers your heartfelt worship, would that meter say, this teenager, this teenage girl, she did what she could. She didn't do more than she could, but she didn't do less than she could. She did what she could. That's going to be the, that's going to be the measurement of our life. That's, that's what stewardship is about. You look at the parable of the stewards. They didn't all receive the same talents. They received different talents. And when you stand before the Lord, we're going to answer to God for how we use, whether it's one talent or three talents or ten talents, we're going to answer for what we did with what God gives us. So you can believe that or disbelieve it. It doesn't matter. Jesus said it. And I think we ought to take it seriously. What are we doing 
with what we've been given. He was commending her. And it was such a con commendation that in verse 9, look at this in verse 9, Verily I say to you, he says this to those men in that room, and he says it to us, but he said it to those people in that room. Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. You're criticizing her. You're, you're disagreeing with her. You're thinking she's over the top. That's the way people think now today. Oh, you don't have to do that. That's overboard. That's too extreme. Jesus said, I want to tell you that what she has done, they'll be talking about it in every corner of the world until the end of time. Isn't that something? He commended her. And by the way, you say, well, I don't believe that's true. Well, just think about it. We're doing it right now. Right? Right? We're doing it right now. We're thinking about her. We're commending her. We're, we're appreciating her. We're inspired by what she did. Her commendation continues this day and will continue. By the way, when we do what we can, when we can, with what we can, we too will be commended by the Lord. We will be rewarded. And we may see ourselves as unworthy, unprofitable servants. I said those words to the Lord in prayer yesterday. I feel like such an unprofitable servant. But as unprofitable as we may feel and see ourselves, if we do what we can with what we have when we can, He will say, Well done. He will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So as I read this passage, there's, there's just a lot in it that ought to speak to us. Number one, we're reminded once again of the great sacrifice of our Savior. We see this woman pouring out her, her, her extravagant ointment as a preparation for his burying and I believe we see in that her great love for her savior for all that he'd done for her and her family no doubt she was saved I mean if you read in John chapter 11 the account of Lazarus's death and the conversations Jesus had with Mary and Martha they were expecting they knew some things they knew that he'd be raised in the, before Jesus raised him they already knew that one day his, he would be raised from the dead but Jesus surprised them when he raised them that day how would you love the Lord if he raised your brother or sister from the dead how would you love the Lord if he raised your mom or dad or your son or daughter from the dead? Don't you think you'd appreciate the Lord? Well, I'm going to tell you, if they're saved, he did raise them from the dead. You know why we love him? Because he raised us from the dead. He gave us life. He changed our life. So we reminded about the great sacrifice of Christ. But we're also reminded once again 
of the call to worship God with all of our hearts. That's what she did. Think about this today. What would you give to Jesus? You know, Mary had this alabaster box of ointment. We don't know how big it was, but we know how valuable it was. But you know what? She could have just taken a little of it and poured it on Jesus, right? I mean, maybe a, maybe a pint or maybe even less than that. Maybe a few tablespoons or maybe even a, more than that. But you know what she did? She poured it all on him. My wife and I were reading our Bibles this morning. That account where Abraham took his only son, Isaac, and marched up to Mount Moriah with a knife in his hand and raised his hand to give his own, his own son as a sacrifice to God. God stopped him. And we know God did that and what a great picture it is. Can you imagine what it had been like for Abraham thinking about that? And I realized he believed that he would come off that mountain with his son. Right? The Bible was clear about that. Hebrews chapter 11. But still to give, you know... When I look at people like her and people like him, and I just it, it challenges us, challenges me about what I give to the Lord. Are you challenged? Are you, do you ever think about what you're giving to the Lord, your time, your devotion? You say, what, what, I don't have anything to give him. I, let me just help you with that. Give him your life. Give him your life. Give him your love. If you are really saved, you have a great debt of gratitude that you owe to the Lord for that. Give Him your service. Because you love Him, discipline your life that I'm going to do some things in my life as service for the Lord. We're reminded about our call to worship Him. We're reminded that the day is going to come for all of us. The day is going to come. I see this in this passage. For all of us, when any acts of worship and service in this life are over. I think we'll get to serve the Lord in the millennial kingdom. I think we'll get to serve the Lord in heaven and eternity. But one of these days, this life is going to come to an end. One of these days, this life of loving the Lord and worshiping the Lord is going to come to an end. I see that in our text. And then as I said earlier, and it's worth mentioning again, I see in this that our service to Him will not be forgotten. People may not see it. People may not notice it. People may not care. People may even make fun of it. People may criticize it. But one day, we're going to stand before Him. And in that moment, the only opinion that matters will be his opinion. We'll be rewarded for our service to the Lord. Makes me just want to serve him, doesn't it, you? Makes me want to worship him. Makes me want to do what I can while I can with what I can. Hope you feel the same way. And if you're here today and you're not saved, you, you don't have... 
I'm sure there are probably people in this room that can't even relate to this. They don't know what it is to love the Lord because they don't know the Lord. They don't know what it is to be saved because they've never really known how lost they were. I'm telling you, you ever see yourself as lost on your way to an eternal hell and you see that only by Jesus' death on the cross that you've been saved and redeemed and brought to life, I'll tell you, you'll want to love him and you'll want to worship him and you'll want to serve him because of what he's done for you. I know people can get indifferent. I know people can go through spiritual slump. I believe that. But you show me a person who never feels like they need to give Jesus more, and I'll show you a person that I would question whether they've ever been really redeemed, saved by the grace of God. And if you're not saved today, you need him. He doesn't need you. You need him. You need him for now and forever. You ought to come to him today. Who knows, there could be someone here today, God's been working in your heart and you need to be saved and you know you're not saved. You're doubting it, you're questioning it. You ought to come today. I'll meet you right here at the front. Just say, preacher, I want to know I'm going to heaven and we can help you with that because Jesus paid the price for it. Let's stand together, please, if you're able to stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I'm going to pray in just a moment. Would you think about this woman? Would you just set everything else out of your mind for a few moments and just think about this woman? Think about her devotion. Think about her extravagant love. Think about the criticism she received. But the reward or commendation she received from Jesus. And ask yourself, if I'm, am I doing what I can? If that, if that standard is put to all of our lives, she, she had done what she could, would we, would we say, by the grace of God, I'm doing everything I can? Our fathers, we pray, Lord, today we thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture. It always ministers to us it always challenges us thank you for people like this woman that stand out as an example for us encouragement to us the lessons that we find in the word of God the practical powerful lessons in the Bible God forgive us if we ever criticize others for what they're doing